Welcome to STEM Four's podcast, Understanding Teen Minds, where we explore the world of teenage mental health, looking at everything from signs and symptoms to early intervention. STEM Four is a charity that promotes positive mental health in teenagers and those who support them. This includes their families and carers, education professionals, as well as school nurses and GPs. STEM Four's mission is to foster the development of good mental health in teenagers by enhancing early understanding and awareness, and providing mental health education and resilience strategies. Join us as we open up the conversation on young people's mental health. Hello, and welcome to STEM Four Podcasts. Thank you so much for joining me today. My name is Dr. Nahara Krause, and I'm the CEO and founder of STEM4, a teenage mental health charity based in London. I'm also a consultant clinical psychologist with many years of experience in a variety of mental health settings and a passion for improving the mental health of our young people. It's November and a wonderful opportunity to focus on boys' and men's mental health. So how do we get boys and young men talking about their mental health? And more importantly, how do we listen so that they keep talking more? I don't know about you, but many parents often say that a conversation with their sons, who perhaps are naturally very verbally eloquent on many topics, simmers into monosyllabic answers about being okay or good when it comes to talking about emotions. While some boys might express how they feel by getting angry or increasing a variety of risk behaviours, others can be often silent, keeping what they feel to themselves. So what can parents do to help boys and men in their lives open up and find emotional tools to live happy lives? The first is to explore the role gender plays in your household. If there are stereotypes that are either verbalised, such as boys need to be tough, or demonstrated, for example, the male older sibling or father who is fine after a major bereavement in the family, then boys will learn from that Their role models indicate that emotions need to be presented in a strong way. Harder still are gender roles at school. Whilst parents may not be able to get rid of a playground culture where a boy who cries is teased, there are many ways to support the expression of emotion at home so that there is a learning that showing emotions is about being brave, is about being open. Secondly, talk about emotions from a young age. Help provide words for behaviours that express emotions. So the name it to tame it model. Model how to express emotions and provide opportunities to blow off steam when needed. Try not to dismiss by saying you'll be okay or it'll be okay. Another element is to encourage older men in the family, so grandfathers and fathers, to connect on emotions and to show vulnerability. Create opportunities for them to bond over gender-neutral activities and where there is an opportunity to model failure. This shows how males can be vulnerable. 
Positively reinforce them when they ask for help. Not in an obvious way, because that will cause embarrassment, but by indicating that it's the right thing to do. Think of the common belief that people have about men not wanting to ask help about reading maps. So it's the same sort of thing that if there is some sort of gender bias about not asking for help, then reinforce them when they do so that they do see the positives of it. Empathy is a quality that develops with maturity. However, it is helpful when watching a movie or reading a book to reflect on what each character might be feeling. Encourage empathy by involving boys in giving activities, whether these are charitable or whether they might be some simple giving within the family from a young age. Now, teen boys often are noted to need more space to be open about emotions. And whilst there are many different parenting styles, one that I think is very helpful in opening up conversation with teens is that suggested by an American psychologist who refers to a style of parenting as being a pot plant parent. Now, what does that actually mean? So what that refers to is about, like a pot plant, being in the room, being available, absorbing what's being said, rather than being overactive in directing conversation. So a stable person who you can rely on when needed. As teen boys grow and start to develop a sense of identity as to who they are, some may not respond well to conversations that start with concern, since this might not be seen as respecting their emerging manliness. So rather than saying, I'm worried about you, a very common way to engage in a conversation about mental health, maybe link on an interest instead. Perhaps try and find something they're passionate about and get them talking and you can then start to listen. And it might be that within that passionate or involved conversation, you might start to introduce something that's very light touch about something that you might have concerns in. Don't tease. It's very common for parents, because they want to make things lighter, to engage in some sort of gentle teasing, either about a hairstyle or a style of clothes or about someone being grumpy. The thing to remember is that teenage years are marked with an increase in self-consciousness and sometimes social anxiety. So whilst humour is a great bonder, particularly with boys, try not to engage in a conversation where humour is at their expense. Now, all talking will happen more frequently and a young person will be more at ease if they feel that the person they're talking to is listening. And a very helpful style of listening is one called active listening. So the simple kind of background to active listening is to listen attentively to a speaker, really try and indicate an understanding of what they might be saying, to take a moment to reflect back on what's being said, rather than immediately jumping in and providing an alternative perspective. If you do have a view, then refrain from providing that straight away. 
listen, indicate that you've heard, and then perhaps engage in having a conversation. So I've been sent a very interesting question, which is, I find talking to my son in the car far easier. Why does talking in the car work? So this is a statement that many, many parents often say that the car is a good place to talk. And I think there's a number of factors. The first is that it's a side-by-side conversation rather than a face-to-face one. And I think that is very helpful because if you are anxious, if you are shy or embarrassed, you don't have to have eye-to-eye contact. So I think that's a helpful position. And it might be a position to think about when you want to engage in another type of conversation. So a side-by-side walk or sitting down whilst watching or doing something, but again, side-by-side. The second, I think, is that it's often quite a peaceful place. So unless you experience a huge amount of road rage, generally um, the car is quite a peaceful place to engage in a conversation with. And connected with that, I think, is something really important, which is that the driver, so in this case the parent, is always in control of themselves in the car. And so perhaps unconsciously it's easier for a young person to have that conversation because they know that their parent isn't going to start, you know, getting really cross or losing their cool in a way. And so it feels quite a safe place to have that discussion. And the third, I think, and this is again something really helpful to think about, is that the conversation that does happen is often not the main focus. So you don't get in the car to have an in-depth conversation about emotions. You get in the car because you're going somewhere. And so the conversation that evolves about emotions, if that is a good place to bring it up, is almost like an incidental conversation. It happens by the way. Uh, which is quite apt, or on the way, so to speak. And that, again, feels much easier, much more comfortable to have as part of it. So I think if you've got a long journey and it's something that you're doing together, then it might well be something that you want to practice and bring up. The other thing, of course, is that sometimes journeys in the car might occur just between you and that one child. And if you are part of a family where there are many siblings and where perhaps a sense of privacy isn't so easy, it can also feel like a one-to-one comfortable space where it can just be a parent and a young person having an important and meaningful conversation. So... I think from all aspects, it's quite a good place to offer, to connect and to speak. The second conversation that I've been sent is a really interesting and kind of perhaps quite a difficult one to answer. So the question is, um, my son and I find it very easy to open up and talk about and express emotions at home. However, I do have to ask them to be tougher when they go to school in order to protect themselves from others. For instance, if they cry, it may not go down well in the playground for certain in the same way that it might be at school. How do I provide them with this contradictory message and help them to be okay? 
So I think that's a fantastic question. I think what's helpful first and foremost is to provide young people with the basics on how to look after them, their emotional selves. And that includes all of the things that I've mentioned um, in the podcast. So it's about opening about emotions. It's about um, confirming their in emotions. It's about helping increase empathy. And it's about showing and encouraging expression of emotions. Once there is an understanding that emotions are important and emotions can be expressed and more importantly regulated so they can be managed, then there can be a number of ways to engage in conversation about how they can be managed in different situations. So you're not asking your child or young person to be a different person when they go to school, you're encouraging them to be versatile about how they use and express their emotions in different situations. And this is also true not just in the playground, but also perhaps online. So again, it might be that you would like them to learn that how they might express emotions online is very different to how they might express emotions offline. So the key is to be able to identify emotions, to be able to understand them and express them, and then through that, learn to manage them differently based on different situations. And that really is the fundamental of emotional intelligence. Hope you found today's episode helpful. If you did, then please do leave us a great review wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information, you can find a wealth of resources on our website at stem4.org.uk. And you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at stem4.org. Links to our website and our five free apps designed specifically for young people can be found in podcast description. I hope you'll join us for our next episode. Until then, keep well. Goodbye.